Hey, contest players, did you know there is a really good opportunity to qualify for the NHC coming up with our friends at Tampa Bay Downs. It's going to have special coverage of their big weekend coming up on the network this week. But really want you to be focused on Friday, February 16th, and Saturday, February 17th. You can play in this contest, win, place, or show only, $1,000 buy-in, live at Tampa. Make sure you get registered for this in advance. Make your travel plans now. For much more information, you can go to tampabaydowns.com and make sure you sign up today. I'm going to be there in person. Would love to see you out there once again tampabaydowns.com to sign up for their February High Rollers contest on February 16th, a Friday, and February 17th, a Saturday. More. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Monday morning, February 5th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, in the Brooklyn bunker for now, but getting ready to go on the road. Going to do a sporting thing that I have wanted to do since, I'm not joking when I say, I'm pretty sure first time I watched the Beanpot Tournament was on PBS in the 1970s, and I've never been to one, despite the fact that the, the BU caller, Bertie Corbett, is a good friend of mine. I'm, I'm doing it today. I'm heading up to Boston, going to watch uh, round one of the Beanpot. Uh, very, very excited to do so. And then I'm flying out. I'm going to England this week to go to a gaming conference. Not as sexy as my usual heading over to England to do uh, various racing things, but a chance to meet up with a lot of people that I've been missing and want to see in person. So yeah, going to be in London for a few days. Won't slow down the content on here though. We've got a YouTube video up, a new updated top 10. Thanks to Eric DeCoster, JK and I go through the new top 10. We've got a new number one. Check that out there. Leave us a comment, rate, re review, subscribe, do all that good stuff on YouTube. Really will help us out. But today, uh, that's a quickie video. Today, we're going to go a little bit deeper into the prep race recap from last weekend. And to do that with me, we bring in a man who is uh, rolling on four wheels. Well, well, hopefully the sound will cooperate throughout as it did in the sound check coming to us from Houston, Texas. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? I'm doing great, Pete. So far, so good on the, uh, the movement during the podcast. I think we'll be all right. We'll, we're going to hope for the best. Yeah, we've done it before. I, I Back in the day, I can remember uh, driving. Well, I don't know what the heck we were doing, but uh, Sean Borman and I were going from Lexington to Cincinnati, maybe just to go and eat ice cream in Cincinnati. I don't know, but we did it with a show work from there. We only had like one little cutout. And then uh, in the old, old days, you know, place with the letters type days, there, there was some times where there were inevitable conflicts with having the alternate side of the street here in Brooklyn. And multiple times I do remember doing the show and I even would say it on there. Old school listeners, if you remember this one, pat yourself on the back from the from the parking lot of the key food, which is no longer there. That's been knocked down in this condo. So such is the way of the world. But hopefully things will, will stay intact today. Nick, let's start off. I can't decide if I want to start off in Florida or California. I'll follow the pattern of the video, and we'll, we'll start in California with Nysos's performance. This was pretty darn impressive visually and on the clock. If the horse were eligible to run in the Kentucky Derby, he surely would be the new number one. He's not. What did you think of Nysos in, in general? Yeah, tough not to be really taken by this effort. And this is a horse that you and I discussed 
on Friday. I mean, nothing groundbreaking in terms of our opinions, but we, we kind of knew he was cut out to be pretty good after that debut, which came in a good field at Santa Anita that he just walloped. And, um, you know, what you wanted to see from him, what you want to see from a, from a newly turned three-year-old making their debut at this point in time is have they matured? Have they, have they improved? Have they, are they capable now of doing something maybe we didn't previously see from them? And, and I think he checked all of those boxes. He was much farther off the pace than he had ever been before. There were actually a couple of moments down the backstretch where you thought, you know, Scatify looks like he might get away from him. And then, I mean, he lengthened his strike. He just inhaled it. It was, it, it didn't take very long at all for Nisos to be firmly in front. So, yeah, it was a very compelling performance. Uh, a 10, 103 buyer speed figure. Or five, actually. Or five, okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, I thought I had seen preliminarily it was a 103. 105 for a first prep uh, for a newly turned three-year-old. Boy, I mean, you're going into the annals of history to look at, at those kind of numbers, and he deserved it. And, uh, would be a clear favorite should would he have been eligible it's it's a bit disappointing on that level for sure but it, it is what it is I, I don't think we're going to spend the time here getting into the, the particulars of you know the the, the the churchill baffert spat at this point it's been talked about elsewhere i'm sure we'll dive deeper into it as we get closer but my joke on the video we made, Nick, was that if we had a Preakness top 10, uh, names 1 through 10 might be Nisos at this point. I mean, just he did, he did, he did everything that Fierceness didn't do, and, and we'll, get, we'll get more to that um, in a bit. In the end, um, he ends up winning this race by 7.5, wind me up, second, Scatify, long shot we talked about, uh, clocking in third there, and... I mean, yeah, no, re- I, I mean, no reason not to think he'll just stay on a very similar pattern to what he would have done had he gone to the Derby and just have that extra two weeks off and, and run in the Preakness. And maybe the next flotilla of Baffert horses would, would point for, for the Belmont. I mean, you have any sense at this point how the different Baffert horses are going to be deployed over the course of the Triple Crown? Yeah, it's tough to get any sense, right, at this point. I mean, I, you know, you would think that the Baffert camp is still holding out some amount of hope that something could change with regards to the Derby itself. Um, I have no sense of who could be Preakness eligible, who might be more Belmont inclined. Of course, you know, the Belmont takes on a different shape this year, obviously being at Saratoga at a mile and a quarter. So it's not as if there might have been one uh, that could have been significantly more distance oriented. I mean, Coach Prime feels like a horse that that might be more distance inclined, but he lost to Winstock, who obviously came back and didn't run particularly well. So I think there's probably a little hesitation on just how good he might be. But, you know, you've still got Moose out there. You've got uh, this newer Zidane horse, and May Moon, that won, obviously, Nisos. So you, you referred to them as a flotilla. That feels accurate. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I, I mean, I just can't see any mechanism, any uh, deus ex machina to, to be able to get them to the derby at this point. I mean, Churchill have really dug in their heels. It feels impossible. You know, the gesture of dropping the lawsuit. I mean, I... At the, t- the time that that was done, I didn't think it was going to help. You know, maybe had that been done before Churchill sort of put down the the, the, the edict, that could have helped. But as it is, I'd be pretty shocked if uh, if these horses turn up anywhere other than the Preakness of the Belmont. We'll see how that all plays out. Let's come back east and talk about, uh, the, the, just frankly, the disappointment of the weekend. Um, Hades gets the job done. That's no disappointment there. Nine to one. Uh, in in a uh, brave and game performance 
the track might have helped him just a little bit in. Um, fierceness, though. We'll start with Fierceness. One to five, can manage only third, travel through the race like a dream. Um, John Velasquez asked the question, and Fierceness just had no answer. Just a, a dismal performance as far as I'm concerned, Nick. Race didn't come back particularly fast. Uh, what did you make of, uh, let's just start with the big horse. What did you make of Fierceness in this spot? Well, I mean, as you alluded to, it's pretty hard to be anything but profoundly disappointed with this effort. I mean, it, it was it was extraordinarily underwhelming, and it it you know it set up a situation with fierceness where we're now dealing with a horse who has these two sensational efforts and two absolutely abysmal ones, and going into his fifth career start, we have absolutely no idea which horse he is. Right, right. He's somewhere in the middle, um, yeah. but we don't know what what part of the middle is it. The lower end? Is it the higher end? Is it closer to what we saw at Santa Anita is it closer to what we saw in the champagne you know it, it first and foremost what I love about the derby trail is that no single event no single lead up is as followed as passionately as the derby trail which means it trots out some of the most horrifically bad analysis from people <laughs> on social media and and I'm here for it Pete I'm, I'm here for it 110 percent there was a guy who has not only embarrassed himself on Twitter before, that said that it was a brutal trip. What? And if that horse had a brutal trip, then I will sign up for brutal trips like that for the horses I bet for the rest of my life. It'd be such a massive upgrade, I would take it in a heartbeat. I mean, look, realistically, do horses have problems at the gate frequently? They, they have them somewhat, right? I've always been a believer that if you break a half step slow and a horse comes over on you and you get pinched back, the fact that you broke a little bit slow is a bad sign. Horses yeah. that are in form, horses that are ready to run, don't break slowly unless it's a habitual problem. I watch enough races on a daily basis through binoculars. I watch you, you and I both watch enough races on television to know that sharp in form horses don't break slowly. So the fact that he broke a little slowly, okay, not a great result, but by the first turn, this horse was exactly where the connections would have wanted him. And John Velasquez's own quote was, he was traveling well for me. I saw Paco start to move. I thought I could just wait and take him whenever I wanted. And when I asked, he wasn't there. Yeah. That about sums it up, right? I mean, when right. he was asked, you knew about midway around the turn, like, okay, he probably was supposed to, he was supposed to dismiss Hades by now. And the fact that he hasn't, isn't that great a sign? And then he just started spinning his wheels and, and you know, it, it worked against him squarely the rest of the way. So uh, very hard to be, to have any kind of rational thought on exactly who fierceness is, because again, I mean, I think we can agree that he's not as bad as he was on Saturday, but I'm a bit concerned that he's probably not as good as he was on Breeders' Cup Friday. Right. I heard some people suggesting, did he not train on? Well, no, that's not it because the same horse would have run, 20 points better than that. It's not It's not a question of not training on. There was a little bit of bumping at the start, I suppose, and the poor break as noted. But if that's what did him in, he wouldn't have traveled like a dream to get to, to where he was, which which our eyeballs tell him. You know, if JK were here, I could hear him saying, you know, maybe it was a mistake that Johnny let him go as slowly as he did early. Maybe he should have asked him for a little bit more. You know, it was a slow half. But, I mean, that doesn't really explain it either at the end of the day, just because he just because he found so little. I mean, had he been hustled, just in a, to do a weird little thought experiment, 
Had he been hustled and really asked for speed out of the gate, had he cleared and gotten to the rail, would he have run better? Yeah, I think he would have run better, but I can't see any world in which he, he actually wins the race showing. I mean, I guess maybe you could say, oh, well, if he gets there, he gets all kinds of confidence. He's, he's out on the lead. But I mean, boy, we, we are requiring an awful lot of uh, clauses in this hypothetical to get to a point where he, where he would have run a lot, a lot better than he did. I just, I just think any way you slice it, it's, it's, it's disappointing uh, to the, to the extreme. And I suppose we should talk about the second for, for a minute here, Nick, in the form of domestic product. This was a horse who visually went there the other day, like he was going to win the race and, and flattened out a bit, but feels a lot more excusable to me in this horse that wasn't bet that hadn't run since the Rems in. I, I think you could make a case that he needed the race and could step forward problem there again is the overall figure of the race just didn't come back fast enough for me to get excited about anybody uh coming out of 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 the holy bull am i being too harsh about hades or domestic product anything else to add on fierceness no i mean this race has a a lot of the kind of rocket can shadow dragon vibes right Mm -hmm. i mean it just didn't it was a slow race where the favorite didn't show up and a horse that had been well beaten in his lone stakes try, had a sweet trip up the rail to to get a piece of it. And and I've heard you allude to it. Is is the are you of the opinion that maybe the rail could have been or inside was potentially an advantage on Saturday? Was, yeah, I don't think it was dictating results of the races, but I thought it was a better place to be. I, I mean yeah. I, you know I think it was worth something. Do you do you agree with that idea? I, I actually I mean I, I'm trying to think as I as I think about it and and you know my brain is getting old, but um, I think about our Harper Rose being, you know, out sort of three, four paths off the rail, you know, I, but I do know some inside horses did maybe stick around a little bit better. I, I will say that it felt to me over the weekend, I guess Born Noble set kind of a crazy pace on the rail, but he stayed on well enough. The winner came from over the top. I'd have to go back and watch the replays. The problem is they run so few dirt races at Gulfstream nowadays that, you know, it's, it's like we're, we're lucky to get, you know, 33% of the card is on the dirt. Um, so it's very hard to make any kind of, and the other thing is that a lot of these races like the Holy Bull end up living in isolation because they come at way after all the other dirt races. Now this one wasn't so bad because the 10th was a dirt race. The 11th was a turf race and, and it was the 12th. So I'd have to go back and watch. I mean, it certainly played out like an inside flow race, no doubt about it. Um, given that obviously fierceness underperformed and, and domestic product and Hades always did their best running on the rail. So, I mean, there's a little, little concern on that part. Um, so yeah, it's, it, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, to be, to be determined, I would yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, I think it was worth, I would, my gut is, and this is not scientific, but my gut is it was worth a little bit more. Some days, these days, you, you don't even see the rail worth the geometry of, of being inside. I think it was worth at least that and maybe a little more, but again, not dictating terms of races by any means, not, not meant to be any kind of an excuse other than, you know, when I'm doing that thought experiment of how you can get fierceness to run within a city block of his last, uh, of his last race. I think it's worth noting that while he did have uh, at least one winner on the day, the Pletcher, the Pletcher hot pots in general, just really underperformed. And that sure could be, just randomness, but boy, when you see a when you see a born noble, uh, you know, underperform like he did at, at two to five, and a noted underperform like he did, and there was another one too. Was it McGeeth, El McGeeth, or something? He had a bunch of horses that ran lengths slower than they were probably meant to on paper, and it just 
you know, I mean, I'm just scalable is the other one you're thinking of. Scalable was very, I mean, she's no star, right? But she was, she was supposed to run better in the forward gal than she did. You kind of knew at the quarter pole, she was done. So yeah, I mean, other than life's an audible who of course beat me in there, then, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the one that he did have that ran well, right. Um, (laughs) other than her, you know, they all did kind of underperform. I guess there was a Rapoli maiden earlier on the card that won on the synthetic, but the horse did not look, it was no great shakes. It was not a, it was not a compelling performance by any means. And I don't know what he thinks of a, a second time starter. He's whisking off to the tapita anyway. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, yeah, look, I'm not a guy wins two races on a day. And here I am saying how, how, you know, it was a cold barn and maybe, maybe they're just, you know, not on top form, but I will say this in my experience, you know, over the years and I didn't do anything about it, but when I go back and I look at my decision, you know, there, there, there was some, a little embarrassing to admit, but I but I will. There was some two to five around in England on fierceness, which I decided to top up my already fairly extreme um, fierceness position that I had in the double. I we, we had talked on the show last week about using other pools to sort of leverage and 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 or potentially hedge um, when you're playing a bet like the coast to coast pick five. I ended up doing that. The the there was so much a positive market signal on first world war. And the first, I was looking in the first world war, the time I bet at the first world war fierceness double was coming back six to one. And I was so, I didn't have any first world war in the coast to coast. And I decided that was worth making a, a sizable double on. So of course I needed fierceness for my lungs and then, and then topped up and watched it uh, go, all go wrong. And afterwards, the only, one of the only things I can think of is boy, the Pletcher horses did I mean, I feel like as a group underperform on the day. I don't know. Is that is that grasping at straws on a day when the guy had two wins, or, or do you see something to to the to paying attention to that? Todd had a black suit on on Saturday. That was not a black suit type of day for Todd. <laughs> Usually, you see him you see him looking looking sharp. He's planning on he's planning on four or five photos, and and yeah, no, I, I think he would tell you that it was a disappointing day, even taking fierceness out of the equation because he probably expected Scalable to run better. Uh, Mike Rapoli had about 750 people there, so he expected to take quite a few photos as well um, and didn't quite get there, I think, as many times as he would have liked. So, no, it was, you know, and the other thing is that, unfortunately, right, Weary grows the head that wears the crown. We've grown accustomed to Todd just mopping up these stakes races on these big days at Gulfstream where his barn is generally at its most proficient. So, yeah, when, when you only have two only have two, one of which is is kind of a, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they would tell you was not as quite a meaningful uh, race on uh, on the turf. Yeah, it's a disappointing day. They were in the wrong races too. I think that's that's part of it um, for for sure. But anyway, that aside, we did. Somebody hit me up with a stat about the the lack of success of juve of long shot juvenile winners when they come back in their first race. And, and, and I bring this up. This is not the way I look at the world. And it's, I, I think ultimately this type of, look, I don't want to criticize what anybody else does. Like it's, it's great that there's so many different ways to try to find an answer in racing. And, and the last thing I want to do is be judgmental about it. And that's why, in fact, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out. Um, can't remember the name of the fellow, unfortunately, but uh, I want to give a shout out to the idea of doing this kind of work. But for me, uh, so in other words, the, the mystery solved, uh, typically speaking, long shot winners of the juvenile come back and lose at short prices, I guess is the, is the idea. But I just, you know, I mean, my response at the time to the, to the person was, 
how many of them ran a 105? You know, I just, I don't think the, the, the future and the present are predicated upon the past that way. I think you're much better off trying to look at form and figures and race design and, and, you know, short-term fluctuations of trainer and jockey form. All these things stand well above that type of historical analysis. But I did think it was an interesting observation and one I wanted to share at least. Does that idea move you at all? Nick, is, is that something we should have paid a little bit of attention to before the race? Or or is it just a, a case of a, of a broken clock being right twice a day? I mean, he was a long shot in air quotes, right? I'm sort of doing them as I as I answer this. Be careful. He was a huge favorite in the race before that. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't – look, I think there's there's probably – you tell me that stat, I tell you, yeah, that makes sense because there's a reason why those horses were long shots in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking as I as I consider it, I mean, I'm thinking about like what action this day, Wilco, Vale of York, that was a synthetic race. That doesn't feel like it matters very much. I mean, Shanghai Bobby was a shorter price. New Year's Day was a shorter price. I'm just not not coming up with a lot of big price juvenile winners. Texas Red feels like was very delayed to make his his ju- his uh, three year old debut anyway. So he's not really a fair one. Um, I mean, 16 and 17 were. Shorter priced winners, Good Magic and, and a Classic Empire. 18 was the favorite game winner. 19 was uh, was a big price. Storm the Court, who's just not much horse. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't quite see. I get it. You know, I'm not all that shocked by it. Um, it's one of those things that it's a curiosity after the fact. But if you had said to me, like, hey, by the way, I'm taking a big position against fierceness because historically long shot juvenile winners don't do well in their next start. I probably would have said okay and reminded myself to never listen to you again. <laughs> but but I would have at least acknowledged that you did unearth something a little thought provoking. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel, but I did feel especially after this was in the YouTube comments of the Holy Bull preview video and I did feel especially since I bothered to sort of make the case against the case, I feel like I have to at least to the degree that it's appropriate fall on the sword here. Let's get back to the winner Hades for a second. Um my gut here, Nick, is that the next time Hades turns up, it's going to be a classic. Last time was the time. You think there's any chance uh, that's underrating this horse who did show some gameness, did get the job done, but did also clock home with only an 85 buyer's prefigure. I mean, you're talking about a horse that's going to need to improve so much, Pete. And, and you know, the connections came out and said, oh, we're going to we're going to run in the in the Florida Derby, give him some more time, this and that, this whole fascination with you know, needing up to 60 days. And this is a horse that was just making his third career start. I know, I know we're coming out of a year where the Derby winner made it, won the Derby in his fourth career start. But if there was ever a horse that needed to, to really have an opportunity to prove himself a little bit more, this really is one. So yeah, you know, Hades gets his, uh, his day in the sun, but I can't imagine him being a meaningful participant in future traps, let alone the Derby itself. Let's move up to the Withers and Aqueduct where Uncle Heavy Son of social inclusion got the job done with an 84 buyer speed figure. This race for me, a, a good example of when, when I say the race didn't look like good form. I think the, this year's withers is a good example of that to me where, you know, following uncle heavy throughout, you know, look, I don't mean to bury the, the horse or the connections, obviously, 
um, it's fantastic to win this race. But, you know, this horse was he made hard. Uncle Heavy made heavy work of it. Let's put it that way. Um, when you see a race like this, where, where you see a number of ro- horses just sort of struggling throughout the running, no surprise at all that it comes back as an 84 buyer. But hey, uh, for those that, that listened and appreciate the, some of the plaudits we've gotten on the show for making the, the Uncle Heavy case, uh, you, you got your nine to one and, and that's good. But uh, probably not a race that's going to have a lot um, of impact on the trail going forward. I think that's safe to say. Any horses you saw in the Withers that you are interested in backing next time? Any excuses, etc.? Yeah, no, I, I think when they when they update Social Inclusion's stallion ad, which they inevitably will do, because anytime Progeny win even a quasi-meaningful race, they have to let the world know. I think as they, they should do a voiceover and it would be, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, right? I mean, he's like, he's like trying so hard. And, and, and Chris Griffin, who of course is a friend and was calling the race twice, said Uncle Heavy was like not moving, right? Or, or, or alluded to him not, not really gaining grounds. And all of a sudden, he kind of, it looks like he kicks in. But I think really what was happening was El Grande L was slowing down just a little bit more dramatically. Uh, this was a big rail at Aqueduct over the weekend. And he did kind of run squarely against the bias. You know, I'm not going to chuck him just yet. He might be nothing more than a than a wood memorial underneath filler. We have one more Triple Crown prep race to talk about. This one happened at Oaklawn Park in the Southwest Stakes. Mystic Dan, son of Golden Sense, under a brilliant ride, getting uh, getting to that rail, getting a 101 buyer speed figure in the mud in the Southwest. On the other video, I said, hey, Look, I understand there was a lot of circumstances involved here, but anytime you see a horse this time of year, um, or really even in the, the run-up to the derby season, running a 100 buyer speed figure or higher, I think it often pays to give them a little bit of extra count going forward. You know, I think about a runner like two fills last year uh, with a buyer that, you know, was questioned by a lot of people because of the surface on which it was earned. Anyway, Mystic Dan, very much on my radar at the very least after this one. How good was this performance? It was damn good. No doubt about it. Uh, may have been aided by a bias. Um, the inside got good as the day went on, but uh, Brian Hernandez Jr. is a jockey that's inclined to to ride the rail a little bit himself, and he did that, and this horse really parlayed that into a blowout win. So um, it was uh, it was a very compelling performance. We, you know, we talked about how much pace there was in this race, and it kind of played out that way early. I think we just kind of felt like he'd be part of it and unable to finish from there. But he was he was polished. He was complete. He did he did the job. And boy, I mean, if you were watching this race live, you realized going around the the second turn, like he's loaded. Um, and he had a t- Brian had a fistful of horse. So we'll see how much the inside moved him up. Unfortunately, similar to Hades, looks like he's he's a one more prep and out kind of situation, which isn't the most ideal. I'd like to have seen him once more, but he's got a little bit more bottom to him. Um, I, I find find it ridiculous saying that when he's got five career starts. But you know, <laughs> this that's, age. that's this a modern age. game, right, my friend? That's uh, that's what we're dealing with on a regular basis. So um, he's got a little bit more seasoning, I suppose, and we'll see him, you know, that one more time. Um, which, which, you know, we'll see what we've got that day. But for now, you, you earn a you earn a hundred plus buyer speed figure, and on a weekend where the only other horse to do it is probably not going to be able to participate, it definitely moves up your stock quite a bit. So, obviously, double asterisk, possible inside bias, possible wet track lover, Mystic Dan, maybe moves up the ranks of horses that that you want to consider should there be a little bit of rain the first Saturday in May. 
be interesting to see. Yeah, I imagine what Arkansas Derby and then the big one for him. The horse who ran second, and it was a well-beaten second, eight lengths back uh, for Just Steel. But uh, th- this is one who I have a feeling we could see uh, more than once based on the on the trainer's history. We had the nice write-up uh, on on the in the money podcast.com from Alex Henry. I'm very happy to have on the team writing about some stuff from a pedigree point of view for us. Uh, she was keen on this one's chances and, and likes the horse just as a horse and, and on the blood. And, you know, hey, got you second to 10 to one if you were paying attention to that kind of analysis obviously has a lot to find but i don't know it's quite possible based on the racetrack that um that the the difference between mystic dan and just steel isn't quite as far as that eight lengths of margin um and again this is a horse will give us presumably give us a line on the form by coming back to run in, in four weeks as opposed to waiting for uh for, for 60 days what did you think of just steel or any of the others in the southwest yeah i think he'll probably just run once before St. Patrick's Day, um, <laughs> <laughs> knowing knowing Wayne Lucas, he could run three times, but he could be like a he could be a rebel uh, rebel Arkansas Derby Lexington horse if he needs points. But um, you know he's a he seems like a nice hard trying horse that I hope has a meaningful race with his name on it out there. I mean, even going back to his debut, he was super game beating BU, and um, well, I guess pun pun intended on this show. But, um, you know, I, I think he's I think he's nice. I think if there was an inside bias, he was probably squarely against it much of the way, which is why you'd want to upgrade him a little bit. So, yeah, I've got no I've got no issue with just steel. And uh, as these ranks thin out a little bit, and we'll see who ends up going to Arkansas because uh, it doesn't look like it's a particularly deep lot at this point, given how poorly a lot of the horses ran in this race that had previously looked good, you know, Carbone and. Out of the Conqueror, uh, liberal arts, those types. Um, it looks like it could be it could be a situation where something's out there for him, and I certainly hope so because he's had he's had flashes of having some ability, no no question about it. Probably a little bit better, shorter. I know Alex alluded to him maybe being a turf horse, so I'd be interested to see if maybe he ends up in one of those. Um, there's a chance he runs twenty more times before the end of 2024, anyway. <laughs> Which is a good thing. We're we're not we're not mocking here. I really, at least I don't think you're mocking here. It's just it's just such a notable contrast from what most of the the fact that the fact that we have this uh, uh, I'll call him a relic from our era, Nick of of Lucas who who still does things a little bit more that old school way that we grew up with. It gives me it gives me some comfort. I have to say. Oh, we'd all benefit if they campaigned him like Wayne. Yeah. No doubt about it. Um, you know, one of the. One of the great things about seeing a horse like Secret Oath run as well as she did and win the Oaks and, and Travis reminded everybody in his call, Wayne can still train. So <laughs> if, uh, if, it, if, if, if horses were campaigned the way Wayne likes to campaign them, we'd certainly see him a lot more. And I, mean, I think there's something to be said for it too. I, I, I laugh every time we have a horse run well and, and then the trainer says the following day, oh, he bounced out of it like he didn't even run. It's like, right, because they have a lot of energy. You yes. know, they, they generally are able to, to perform pretty aggressively. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it'll be. I am not mocking whatsoever. I hope that we see just steal at least. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think at the very least we'll see him a couple more times before the Derby. And, you know, hard trying horses like that that might be able to outrun their distance limitations. They have a tendency to, to get in there for a piece. And he seems like that type potentially. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you see that horse in some trifecta payouts at big numbers, at the very least, if not with a valuable prize next to his name 
And I think part of it with horses running more, it just makes it, you know, I mean, let's be honest. Part of it, this is our own bias. It just makes it easier for horse players when you have a line on the current form. You know, you're taking two to five uh, on on fierceness and, and the horse hasn't run in months. And it's it's and we're so used to Fletcher and Chad Brown and, and all these trainers being able to do this effectively. But, you know, it's no substitute. And I, and I think I need to start being more aggressive about this in my play. If I look back, to my bloodiest losses, Nick, of the last few years. Um, a lot of them are late season two-year-old, early season three-year-old, when it's just you just don't have the same line on the form that you do late season three-year-old with, you know, a prep within 45 days and, and of course, older horses. And, and I, think, I think it's something that I need to just start paying a little bit more attention to when I look at these um, bloody losses like Saturday, like uh, – Tamara for me in at the Breeders' Cup, like you know, there, there, there's something to be said for for having that established recent form. I don't think I give it enough credit in the situations where I really choose to go for it from a wagering point of view. Is that something you've noticed at all? Yeah, I think that's fair. I wouldn't make a big argument against it. Um, I think it's, I think it's it's worthwhile. Um, I mean, I could bust your balls and tell you to stop playing so much chalk, but. <laughs> And, and tell you I that you're prices on these are to be fair. These, no, you're you're shopping for value. I know exactly what you're doing. It's fine. I'm, I'm laughing, but I mean you're 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 looking for value where there's some to be had, and you know obviously you're doing it at a you're doing it at a relatively high level because you're looking for you know you're creating your own fair value line and then you know shopping based on that. So um, yeah, no, I, I I think there's there's obviously a big opportunity for the most part in doing. So, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's one of those where I guess you kind of have to, you kind of have to remember that each race is its own event and a lot of races just end up living in isolation and a lot of races just, I think about some of the toughest beats or the most inexplicable beats I've taken over the years. And they've often happened in races where something happened that I couldn't foresee. And I look back and I still have no damn idea how it happened. Right. I still can't I still can't come to grips with it. I mean, I think all the time and I've complained here and elsewhere about Celestine winning the just a game in 2016 and how well I would have done if the one two finishers, if the two three finishers ran one two. And Celestine never ran like that again in her career. She never ran like that prior. She never ran like that after. And I think to myself, you know, I would have won that contest if she didn't run like that. But she did. And so, again, I can't come to grips with it. Uh, but what I try to do is at least focus on my process and see where I may have, have left something out. So, no, I think you're doing the right thing. You're just you, – these have been a couple of situations where the wrong thing happened, if it's yeah. that simple. Negative variance, right? I mean, that's the quote. Negative variance, exactly, right, right. Dealing, dealing with negative variance. And I know in these instances where I'm able to get fixed odds prices, I'm getting the best of the number, but – you know, you can't, at the end of the day, you, you can't eat the best of the number, right? It's, it's, it's one of those things. And I, I've just, I've seen maybe, I think I'm just being probably too aggressive in certain spots and not aggressive enough in just sort of normal value spots every day. I, I think, but it also could be, I'm just getting fooled by negative variance. Now, Celestine, since you brought it up, am I remembering right? There was a very good turf rail that day and Celestine spent most of the race on it. Is that, is that what happened there? Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think the horse I bet was uh, was one of the Jimmy Toners that got good over the years. Recepta, I think. Yeah. Recepta, yeah. And um, and she looked like she was really in position, and Celestine just scored it away. We had a great comment I wanted to read from an old friend of the show, Matt Scarlatta. He won one of our trivia 
contest back in the day. He was the man, if folks remember this from the old show, the ring bet at the Breeders' Cup. That was Matt Scarlatta who uh, set out. He had a, it was a great project, had a certain amount of money and was like, how can I you know, win enough to, to, to purchase this wedding ring I'm looking for? Was successful in that endeavor. Now uh, married, has kids. Uh, but, but he just said in a really nice note I wanted to read because I think it's a good illustration also of you know, we, we on the show a lot of times where we're talking about pick five sequences or pick six sequences. And I don't want to do that to the exclusion of people either playing races individually or at the very least trying to take some um, really serious approach to the way they construct their tickets to these bets and not just sort of cavemanning along with pick fives and, and pick sixes, which is, I think, a strategy that we all know in the long term, very hard to do. But uh, Matt said to us, I grabbed onto a nugget you mentioned after the Bob Lewis analysis, and I applied it to both the Lewis and the Holy Bull. You nailed the point about how in a sequence like this, you can use backups without getting upside down. My strategy became clear. Press my A's, which were either lone A's or a pair of A's, and have a handful of cheap A-A-A-A-C tickets in the event that one of the A's failed. Was able to do that in a way where the backups were about 20% of the total ticket cost. Not sure if that seems right or not. And boom goes Hades, he says. Anyway, he goes on and says, this is a great example of how you guys are doing more than making picks. Sure, it was fun when, when I came on with you and JK and uh, one of my top three picks won. To my amateur friends, that, that was really cool. But in truth, I didn't even cash that much that day. You know, the one bomb hit in the sequence and I didn't have the horse. But in this coast to coast, um, n- none of, you know, neither you nor Nick picked Hades, but your ticket reminder of how to approach this was just what I needed um, when getting back into things. So. I thought that was a good, and he called back to the actual ring bet, which I had totally forgotten was that was in the good magic uh, upsetting Bolt Doro race, where it was a similar thing, having one C line and being able to just vary the amount of the, you know, the, the increment you play. You have your $10 all A, you can get away with your $2 or whatever, $1 even on the backup line. Just thought it was a shrewd observation. Appreciate Matt uh, writing in and, and, and chiming in with that. What do you think about that? 20% of a big ticket on on backup type horses? If anything, maybe a, a teensy bit high, but but nothing nothing crazy about it in a sequence like like that to have twenty percent of your money allocated to covering the, the sort of minor opinions. What's your what's your gut on that uh, allocation of resources? Yeah, maybe a little bit high, um, but not crazy in in any way, shape, or form. Still looks like it's it's pretty much in range. I mean, you know, this is an easy hindsight exercise because fierceness got beaten, but of course, beforehand we were all pretty certain he was going to win. So um, I would say that if you told me beforehand you were going to allocate twenty percent of your resources to him losing, I would have probably said eh, it seems like a l- little much. Yeah. But um, but I don't have a you know I wouldn't go out of my way to say oh that's a huge mistake or anything along those lines. So. Um, it looks looks like a good decision now. So congratulations to Matt and good ticket structure there. And, you know, it goes to show you that you can have a multiple uh, multiple ticket approach, a multiple horse approach to hitting a multi-race sequence. And you don't have to marry yourself to principles that you then try and backfit to every sequence. Yes, I think that's a good a good way of putting it. All right, Nick, we're just about out of time here. You must just be uh, getting to work. So uh, we'll we'll leave it here for now. We're going to have extra coverage of Tampa coming up. Still trying to figure out if we're going to be going forward with our uh, Gulfstream all-turf pick three. The Tropical Turf pick three is hopefully going to remain in the arsenal. I got some questions about where those shows were last week after I had announced that they were happening. A little bit of a, of a, of a bug in the, in the ointment there. Anyway, we're going to try to get that figured out and get that back with you. Again, check out the YouTube channel. 
Um, there's going to be a ton more good content coming up this week and beyond. Stick with us for this Triple Crown season. Any closing thoughts from you, Nick, about uh, things you're looking forward to ahead of the of the upcoming weekend? No, a couple of good weekends of preps coming up with uh, Sam Davis this week and the Risen Star the following week. Then we have that one kind of dead week before the uh, the big a big day with the Fountain of Youth and the and the Gotham in early March. So it's hot and heavy this time of year. Glad to see it. Folks who want to keep up with everything we're doing, probably the easiest way is our free newsletter. That's also something that really helps us if you sign up to that. Um, if you just go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash email, you can get that. We are out of time. I'm going to thank Nick Tamara. I want to thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing. Always love to root for the purple and black around here. Special shout out to Kim Weir as well, who's going to be on soon. I wanted to have her on today, but with the travel, I'm not going to be able to get her. We'll hopefully get Kim for next week and get to hear all about her new endeavor. Very excited about that. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. Special shout out once again to Matt Scarlatta for his thoughtful note. Really appreciate that. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. For Nick Tamaro, I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos. <laughs>